Welcome to Earth, a love story. I'm your host, Robin Lassiter. This time on the podcast, I talk to my amazing editor, Suzanne Chancellor. In addition to being my book doula, she is also a podcaster, blogger, and lifelong experiencer of anomalous phenomenon. And she has an incredible story to tell. We talk about how to deal with being a parent and an experiencer, about falling in love with another experiencer and the wild ride that can be, as well as her new project, which centers around a recent orange orb sighting. Suzanne was recently informed by me that she'll need to clear the decks because I'm coming in hot with my second book and an insane deadline. She said yes, of course. She's not only my editor, she has also become a very dear friend. This was a beautiful conversation full of real deal experiencer stories and deep emotion. I hope you enjoy my talk with Suzanne Chancellor. Something's really ramping up here in this house. Mm. And we've had so many like anomalous fucking Sorry, I keep, I know no, we're recording, say, but say fuck. Say all the fucks. <laughs> Am I allowed to cuss on your podcast? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I, do. Cool. I do all the time. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. awesome. I'll, I'll tone it down though. Um, <laughs> two nights ago, I was sitting on the sofa watching TV, and there, it sounded like, you know, when dogs have long nails and they go across mm-hmm. a wood floor? Mm-hmm. Well, it sounded like a scratch right above my head. On the room where you stayed. Yeah. And then last night we were watching TV and the lights in the living room just turned off by themselves. Oh two of them. Two of them. Those. And then um, one night I, I sleep with white noise, mm-hmm. but actually it's brown noise. And for the past couple of nights, the volume just went up on its own. Oh, geez. And then another night it just went off altogether. Mm-hmm. And then night before last I'm laying in bed I had a horrible night's sleep that night Mm. but I heard a woman go (laughs) but I clearly heard a woman sigh and this is the first time I've heard a a, felt a woman a female energy because usually I felt it was a male yeah I I did we did have one person stay here who I think I told you the story that um he saw a woman come out of the closet up there yeah, yeah. I mean, I came to stay with you. You mm-hmm. set me up in this beautiful room and I was um it was the first night after my Vajrayana retreat where I took Bodhisattva vows and so I was in this like very heightened state. It was very beautiful. Mm-hmm. I landed at your place. It was lovely. And then I went into that room. I closed the door and turned around and looked at that closet and I was like, "Oh, oh. my god." <laughs> okay hello like holy shit just such a strong presence and I did feel it was very feminine like I I felt it was Mm. a very feminine presence and then this it's just weird you know how these things are but I was packing up you know I stayed there a couple nights I I wasn't afraid but I was very much like okay I see you please you stay on your side of the room I'm gonna stay on my side of the room but I had a great night's sleep like I felt very safe there and then when I was packing up to leave I had a curler that fell out of my bag and rolled oh, under the right. desk. Yeah. And I felt this, this energy of like a hand reach out and just want it, you know? And I thought, <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm just going to leave this here for you. And I put it in your closet and I told you about it. Cause I didn't want right. to like freak you out or, 
but yeah, it felt very feminine to me. And, you know, you and I both have had experiences like this our whole life, but Mm -hmm. that particular one coming from the retreat, being with you and Jack, you're so open about, you know, it's just normal conversation in your house to have experience or conversation and the intensity of that feeling and interaction. There's just, there was just no doubt in my mind. I was like, yeah, something there. And then you've told me a lot of stories about, about whatever's, whatever's going on up there. Right. I'm glad you're not scared. Cause I kind of felt like, oh, oh no. maybe I shouldn't have left a gift. Maybe I should have like, oh, left no. well, well enough alone. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just so grateful that I've had the other experiences in my life that I have because I think it set me up to be more open-minded about these types of interactions with otherworldly, mm-hmm. whatever entities or energies or whatever you want to call it. So yeah, I feel I was already prepared by the time I got here to live in this house Yeah, that when these things did present themselves to me, and it was immediate after I moved here. And I was just so like, oh, <laughs> because I was alone a lot at night mm-hmm. because Jack worked until, you know, 3.30 a.m. And and so a lot of times I would just be by myself. And so when I heard somebody saying, hey, in the other room, <laughs> it was like, oh, I'm not alone now because I was so lonely, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Are we going to laugh the entire time? Yeah, it's going to be good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just so grateful that, gosh, that we were introduced by Mike and Mike had said something about Robin, Robin Lassiter. And I thought, you know what? I think she commented on one of my posts once. So it made me feel really comfortable. And then when we did meet, it was just like automatic clicking with you right away. It was really such a grand pleasure. Thank you. I felt like I knew you, you felt familiar and it was just like, okay, here we go. We're going to yeah. go enter into this <laughs> together. And I, think I was very nervous and very, you know, didn't know how to write a book or work with an editor or anything. And you made it such a beautiful process. And we met Aww. regularly and mm-hmm. hashed it out. And yep. you made me take a lot of ands out, which was good. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was a great experience. Yeah. It was really neat because. I really enjoy working on people's works within the community because I'm really more familiar with a lot of, you know, the subject matter, whether it be everything paranormal, but more so that you're also a woman. I don't know. I felt like I wanted to nurture this project with you. Mm-hmm. Like it was, a, I don't want to say like a child, but I mean, you have referred to it as, you know, me, me being a doula. And I do kind of feel, wow, that was such a great compliment but I did feel like since we worked together so closely weekly mm-hmm. that we would meet I I really like to immerse myself in the project so I feel like doing this type of editing to me is so much more personal when you get to work so closely with the author and by developing a friendship it really does make you feel more uh, connected to what you're actually working on mm-hmm. so oh, yeah You know, I have to say that I was just absolutely blown away by your story Mm -hmm. and deeply moved and just so emotionally. I had to take a step back a couple of times because I just was so moved by Mm -hmm. what I was reading that I, you know, had to wipe my eyes and take a a break and, Mm -hmm. you know, compose myself (laughs) to work on this because it was so deeply riveting and just, wow. 
So I commend you for, you know, being so brave to tell this incredible story. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. And so I wonder like, you know, why do you have such an affinity for this and what has your journey been like as an experiencer? Oh my gosh, Robin. I know it's a big question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it's like hours worth of a question. (laughs) What time is it? Um, (laughs) Well, you know, I have told this story over the years and it's been a lifelong journey for me. And um, that began in, you know, 1966. So, I mean, I was very young and I did not remember those experiences from that age until I read Whitley Strieber's Communion, which I'm sure Mm. most of the people that are listening to this who are experiencers are probably going to raise their hand and agree with me on that. It was just such a cathartic situation because I felt like he was writing a book about my experiences. And I thought, who is this? You know, and, and, oh my gosh. And I read it in a day. Oh, wow. And yeah. I immediately wrote an 11 page letter to him because I just was just like blubbering like a baby. I just couldn't understand. And, you know, where's this all coming from? I thought I was the only one mm-hmm. that it had, you know, I had, at that point I had not spoken to anybody about my experiences. And so I lived this, you know, secret life all those years. And so I felt like, wow, you know, reading this book just was so, such a release for me. And I was, I just needed to connect with him in any way possible, but I didn't know where to send the letter. So I sent it to his publisher, but it was returned. And so that was the end of that. And I was so bummed out because I never actually sent him the letter. So I just, you know, carried along. I just had a child at that point. She was one. And, you know, like I said, up until then, I had never shared my experiences with anyone. And the only person that I shared the fact that I was an experiencer with was my uh, fiance. And that was in 1989 when he proposed to me. And... I had read Communion when it um, was published in 1987, so only a couple years had passed. And at that point, my daughter was one. And then um, in 1989, we were living in a small town uh, about 40 miles north of Los Angeles called Camarillo, California. And we had just bought a house. And we were living in that house for a year, we were going to live there, we we're get married in 1990. But when he proposed to me, I remember one day I was in the downstairs entryway, and I don't know, something just hit me like I just needed to come out of the closet with him, because we were going to get married. And I had had all these really just bizarre experiences that I didn't know what they were, why they were happening. And I didn't know if they were ever going to stop. So I basically just said, hey, I need to tell you something, you know. And I said, "Um, I've been having these experiences my entire life. And I can't promise that they're not going to involve you at some point. And I also have no control over them. And if they'll ever 
even going to stop. And I said, you know, I completely understand if this could be a problem for you. And if you change your mind about marrying me, I completely understand. But I just want to know that this is my truth. And he kind of just looked at me like, oh, no problem. Kind of like flippant about it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I'm, you know, knowing what I knew, I was like, wow, okay. But he obviously didn't know what I meant. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay. <sighs> that was a real, I, I should have been hindsight, thought about that a little bit more. But um, what ended up happening not soon after that was an event that I consider or call my confirmation event because mm -hmm. for the first time in my life I had an experience and a visitation that involved somebody else besides myself and I was upstairs we were in bed and he was sleeping my fiance was asleep my daughter was sleeping down the hall she was three at the time and I couldn't fall asleep and so I'm looking at the ceiling just kind of like da, 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 you know? and all of a sudden I started seeing all of these different like shapes like prismic shapes like squares and circles and rectangles but they look like prisms like if you had a crystal in your window and the light was refracting through it and then you could see the reflection on the wall it was kind of like that and they were all just like swirling around on the ceiling and I was like whoa well that's weird what is what's happening and I thought well, maybe something's shining through the window. And so when I went to look at the window, all of a sudden this gold disc, it was about like six, six inches in diameter. This disc flew from the window, which was closed, across my body and then manifested itself into a woman on my left-hand side, just standing there. And I'm like, what the and I like went to look at her, but I was paralyzed. And I thought, well, what is happening? I could move my eyes. So in my peripheral vision, I could see that she was standing there. She was very tall. And when I looked up, I could see that she had really long blonde hair and she appeared to be nude. And I'm in my head thinking, oh my God, oh my God. And all of a sudden she starts speaking to me telepathically. And she says, where I come from, marriage is the most sacred part of our existence. And I am giving you the chance to experience this if you wish. And I remember this verbatim. I will never forget it. But I didn't even think about what it was she was saying. All I could think about was in my head, I'm so glad you don't look like what you really look like. Mm. Because if you did, I think I would freak out. And she said, well, if you want to know what I look like, look at the window. Now, at that point, I'm thinking, I don't want to look, but I do. It's like a train wreck. <laughs> you want to look, but you don't want to look. So I went to look at the window, but I realized I still couldn't move my head. But in my peripheral vision, I could see a mantis being hanging from my windowsill. And then I'm just like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm trying to scream and my fiance is sleeping, nothing's happening. And at that moment that I'm freaking out internally, my doorknob jiggles 
She looks at the doorknob and shoots across the room and disappears through the wall. And right as she disappears through the wall, my door flies open and in walk these three little blue beings. And I'm thinking, what in the hell is going on? And these three little guys come to the foot of my bed and they're probably about three and a half feet tall. They look like um, little Michelin men. So they've got like short squatty bodies. I can only really see them from their chest up. Round heads. They had like little round, like coal eyes. Like say like if you look at a snowman and they use, it was kind of like that, like, like coal for eyes, but they were round. They were kind of um, iridescent. They didn't really emit light, but they were self-illuminating, kind of like a cobalt blue. And they are in a panic. And I could tell they were agitated and they speak to me telepathically. It's Elise. We can't get her to stop throwing up. And at that point, it was like that fight or flight feeling. The minute they said, Elise, there was something wrong with her. I was able to break out of my paralysis and I ran down the hall. I get down to the hallway and she's crying in her bedroom. And I said, Elise, what, what, honey, what? And she says, mommy, I'm going to, and she just starts projectile vomiting on the bed. And I'm like, just in the moment, pick her up. Then my fiance comes down the hall and he says, what is going on? And I said, can you please run the bath? Just run the bathtub. So he runs the bathtub. I put her in the bathroom. She keeps vomiting in the toilet. So as I'm rinsing off her hair in the tub, um, we're getting sheets out and, you know, to change her bed. And finally, when she seems to be calmed down a little bit from vomiting, we made the bed and I laid in bed with her until she fell asleep. And then when she had finally fallen asleep, I went back to bed and we just fell asleep like nothing happened. It was just like nothing happened. And which is weird in retrospect at the moment, I didn't really think about it. And so we wake up in the morning and everything's fine and she's you know runs down the stairs and I'm in the kitchen and and she goes to the kitchen table and I go to pour a bowl of cereal and my fiance and I we had this uh, little inside joke um what I told him about my experiences and we did have certain visit I had I knew that we had a visitation the night before sometimes he would say to me in the morning did the visitors come last night last night because I slept like shit and I say, and I think about it and I'd be like, mm, I think you might be right. Cause I would remember something and sometimes it would be like, absolutely. But he never want to know what happened. He just would turn around and walk away. So this morning in particular in the kitchen, he said, did the visitors? And I went like this, I put my finger to my lips and I just said, shh, don't say anything. I didn't want to freak her out because obviously something happened. I knew something happened. I knew it involved her. And he, you know, didn't really see anything that was going on. I didn't think, but he knew that she was sick. So I just said, we'll talk about it later. And so I go over to the kitchen table and I put her bowl of cereal down. And she's drawing a picture. And I'm looking at it and it's this little like a little round head and it had little um, lines where ears would be 
had a line across its neck like this for some reason. I have no idea why. It had little round eyes and little mouth. And it had a little, like a squiggly thing over its head. And I said, oh, honey, that's really cute. What is that? And she said, oh, mommy, it's the animal from my dream last night. And I just took a, like a beat, you know, took a breath. And I thought, okay, um, I'm not going to act like I'm freaking out. I'm going to smile. But inside I was shattered. <laughs> and uh, I just wanted to prompt her without scaring her. And so I just smiled and asked her more questions. And I said, oh, well, that's really sweet, honey. Well, it doesn't really look like an animal. And she says, well, they're not really animals, but they're not really people either. And I said, oh, well, so there were more than one. And she said, well, yeah, mommy, there were, there were three of them. And they were blue. And I thought, okay, so obviously I was not dreaming. Something happened. And I'm panicking. And um, I said, well, honey, what were they doing? Cringing while I say this, because I know after all the years of doing my own personal research, finding that a lot of children that had had experiences were often, I'm going to say, lied to by their abductors telling them that they're going to be okay. They're not going to hurt them. This is going to hurt. You know, I love you, you know, all this stuff. And so I, when I asked her what they were doing, she said they were smelling her and they were telling her that they loved her. And I said, okay. And um, that's nice, honey. And so what's this thing over its head? And she says, oh, well, it's a cloud, mommy. They come from the clouds. And uh, I said, okay, honey, thank you. And I remember leaving to go around the corner from the kitchen. And I just bit my hand so hard because I just was so, like, so angry, so scared. I wanted to hold her. I didn't want her to feel frightened. I wanted her to think that she just drew a picture and that she had a dream instead of saying it's going to be okay, because I didn't want to, you know, give her any preconceived notions that what had happened was bad, you know, because I didn't want to have her be afraid. I, I just, I don't know. I just, you know, it's so hard to know how you're going to react in a situation like that. So you just, you know, try and figure it out in the moment. And that, in that moment was like my defense mechanism, I guess by by being more passive about it because I knew I had no control over it and I was pissed off because now they were involving my child and there's nothing I can do about it and now I'm really angry and at the same time sick to my stomach and I'm actually telling you this right now I am sick to my stomach mm -hmm. because yeah. it just brings back all that fear and anger and just you know, living with this my entire life up to this point or up to that point. And then having that happen was very devastating. And I wanted to have such a positive attitude about it. Mm -hmm. I don't know what happened. I don't know if they did something bad to her. 
You know, I didn't know if they took her and brought her back. I didn't know anything. And then I'm now I'm thinking for the first time, I wonder if that's why I couldn't fall asleep because I knew something was happening mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like deep down and maybe something happened with me prior to that. I don't even know that either. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, I really have mixed emotions about that whole time frame and when she was a child and, and, you know, I, I immediately decided that I was going to clear my shelves of every um, UFO book or anything and never watch movies that dealt with the subject or I didn't want to like feed her with all this stuff. If she's going to have this journey, I wanted her to, you know, organically just have, I don't know what I was trying. I was trying to protect her in yeah, a different way, absolutely. in a passive way. And the it only way sense. I thought I could protect her because I couldn't chain her to a bed. And even if I could, they would still take her. Do you right. know what I mean? So yeah. uh, anyway, so years and years of knowing that this had happened to her and never talking to anybody about it was really difficult. And and uh, when she, I decided that I wasn't going to talk about my experiences until my kids were adults. I was really afraid at that point. I mean, this is like the like late 80s, early 90s, thinking about like, what if my children are taken from me? Or what if I lose my clients and my job? Or, you know, I don't know. I just, you don't know. Nothing, I'd never read about anybody talking about these things publicly before Whitley. And his book was so new, even in the past couple of years, you know, it's like, I didn't know what was going to happen to him down the road. And, you know, I was kind of afraid for him, actually, to tell you the truth. And he was so brave, I couldn't believe it. So I, you know, waited until they were adults. And then I finally started blogging about it um, way back in the day, like <laughs> 2011, I think it was. And my, I contacted my daughter and I said, you know, she knew that I was doing this and she knew that I was starting this, uh, this blog. And I asked her, I said, you know, I, I really would like to share the story that involved you, but I really need your permission. And she just looked at me like square in the eye and she says, mommy, you can talk about it and you can use my name, but I just want you to know that I don't remember anything and I don't believe in it, but do what you want. And it was kind of sad in a way because she was, I think she just probably was so afraid to talk about it or I don't know, but I just basically said, you know, I completely respect where you're coming from, but I just want you to know also that um, if you ever want to talk about it, if you ever remember anything, if you, anything ever happens, that you can talk to me about anything. Don't ever think that you can't talk to me about it. And she said, okay, and that was it. And now she's 37 and <laughs> she's still never talked about it. So, yeah. I, thank you so much for sharing that story. I imagine I'm, as you're sharing it, I'm feeling parents, experiencers who are parents listening to this. And I'm feeling 
that resonance that they're feeling with you. I can't imagine, right? Because we kind of get, we survive it and we get acclimated to it and we sort of figure it out. And, but then if a child is involved, you know, it's a whole other thing and all of your instincts to protect her and make her feel like it wasn't scary and to get rid of everything in the house like that, it all makes a ton of sense to me. And you deciding not to talk about it until they were grown, like you did everything that you could to protect your kids and it's, and it shows. And so I'm just feeling all of the, the parents attuning with you right now. And that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing it. Thanks. Thanks, I, I'm sorry that it's still hard. I, yeah, this stuff is fucking hard and it's complicated. And, you know, another thing that I was struck with as you were telling the story was like, there's all these details, right? Like there's this woman, there's the lights on the ceiling, there's the gold disc, there's the mantis. And I've had mantis experiences as well. And we're left, and then these blue beings, these small, you know, and then we're left with like, well, what the fuck does any of it mean? (laughs) Like, there's no, I mean, we make peace with it somehow, or we kind of stabilize or find, find footing in it. But there are still, even after all of this, there's not a bunch of answers that we can check off. Like, yep, this happened, this happened, this means this. It's like, no, it's not like that. So I don't know, how how have you or have you come to frame this in a way that kind of helps you, helped you find stability and foundation with it? Oh my gosh, denial. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, I honestly, talking about it, just that finally I felt like when they were finally grown and I was able, more and more people started sharing their experiences. And I was like, wow, okay. Number one, I'm not crazy. Well, number one, I'm part of a crazy group. <laughs> um, but the fact that people were starting to share their experiences more publicly, it was such a sigh of relief for me. Knowing, I don't want to say the knowing that I belonged somewhere because I really wasn't really looking for that, but just the sense of community, just being able to, you know, have communion with other people who have shared experiences. And so I loved to write. And so I thought, you know, I'm just going to write everything down. And I had um, written a journal of some things, but not that elaborate. I was too afraid of somebody finding them even, you know, it's so silly. But well, can I, I want to pause there for just a second. Like the thing that you said too, about your, you're afraid your kids are going to be taken because if you talk about this, you know, I, I'm lucky because I came into all of this when a lot of the groundwork had been laid, you know, by you, by you and, and contemporaries of yours, like Whitley and all these people who started speaking about it, but no, it makes sense that you don't want it to be found or there's always been stigma with it, but it was, it was worse than it was much more difficult than I think. So I just want to say it makes sense that you didn't want to kind of leave a record or have somebody stumble across it. Right. You know, it reminds me of, it reminds me of, um, you know, since they've had the, the, all the naval stuff, the stuff that's been released with the gimbal and the tic-tac and all that, you know, 
it's kind of like that. Mm -hmm. It's like, that was like so groundbreaking for other people to come forward with similar experiences within the, Mm -hmm. you know, government offices and stuff. And even like police, you know, people who work in the military and the government are now coming forward and feeling like they, you know, will be not be frowned upon as much as they would have if it's happened like in the eighties or something. Yeah. You know, so it it just like, it's got to start somewhere. So it's just, I'm so grateful that it seems to be progressing in that manner um, where we might have, you know, some sort of disclosure amongst ourselves. You know, we have disclosure, obviously, but I'm saying public disclosure is not going to come. It's going to come from us. Yeah. That's what I think. I'm convinced of that as well. Okay. So you start writing a blog and finding community and being able to talk about it. And that helps you sort of stabilize in your experience and not feel alone and crazy. Yeah. And then within the experience of going ahead and, and being public about it was so um, motivating for me to actually do my own more, do more research and not just um, for my own benefit, just about everything. But in doing so, I was able to learn so much more about other aspects of the phenomenon and what other people were doing to try and make sense of what it was that was happening to them. And I was so grateful because I was able to connect with other people who were working with uh, meditation and, and, you know, and so I started really delving into other aspects of myself. It opened me up to who I really was maybe. And in doing so, maybe by doing that, I would able to have some more um, disclosure about where these things were coming from or why they were happening. And in the process, I have to in retrospect look back that uh, or to laugh when I look back in retrospect is what I meant to say about meeting certain people who were just like trying so hard to have an answer to the point to where it was just so ridiculous. I couldn't stop laughing about what it was they were telling me, you know, because everybody wanted to say that they had the answers and, Oh, well, you know, um, these beings want to get in contact with you. So call me at this time and and I'd be like, Oh, okay, cool. And then it would just be a complete, you know, shit show of just bullshit. (laughs) I was just so desperate for anything that everything sounded, you know, plausible. So, but, you know, the one thing I am grateful for is really beginning to meditate more and really delving into or tapping into that part of my consciousness that I never had before. So that was really such a great experience for me. And in doing so, um, um, being able to understand the message that messages that were being given to me that I never would have heard otherwise if I hadn't been tapping into that part of my consciousness. Yeah. And those messages that were given to me, some of them were very important. And some of them led me to meeting my now husband. So um, I was so grateful that I took heed on that one. I, gosh, you know, just how what happened was coming full circle with Whitley. When I did start writing my blog, um, somebody had shared my blog with him. And he contacted me 
And I'm like, what? <laughs> Me? <laughs> and uh, he said, I have a show on my website called Dream Dreamland, and I'd love to interview you. And I was like, really? <laughs> and I thought, okay. I was so nervous. I'm thinking, this is unbelievable. Here's this man that read or wrote this book and subsequently I read all the other books he had um, written prior to communion and I was just flabbergasted and I could not believe it. And so we did the interview and it was April 12th of 2012. I'm sorry, April 20th of 2012. And I was so like taken aback by the fact that he had actually read my blog. And then he recited a part of my blog on air that really was, he said, so brilliant. And I thought, really? I was blown away that he was like complimenting me on something that I'd written. Um, so that was such an amazing experience to connect with him. And I was just so grateful. And I thanked him so much for coming out and, you know, shared with him my story about writing him the letter that he never received. And so at least he knew that I tried. <laughs> but um, so what ended up happening when that show aired, somebody listened to it. I, I shared my my uh, contact info on the interview. And I was flooded with responses in my email. I was like, oh my gosh, what have I done? <laughs> but I was grateful at the same time because um obviously I said if if anything we've talked I've talked about resonates with anyone, you'd like to, you know, speak with me, please connect, is basically what I said. And and the fact that so much that I had spoken about resonated with people was so incredible. I was so grateful to know that I wasn't alone. I also remembered that night I was, um, I got a friend request from somebody and which I got tons of friend requests on Facebook. It was just incredible, but they were all experiencers and I was really just unbelievable, like hundreds of people. And about, Maybe a couple months later, I was writing. I was living in Hollywood at the time. I was had since been divorced. And uh, I was writing on my computer and I got a direct message from, I didn't know where, <laughs> but it, basically it was saying, telling me to close my computer, to go into the bedroom sit on the floor, face the armoire, and meditate for 15 minutes. <laughs> like, okay. So I closed my computer and I did exactly what I was told, expecting as I'm meditating for 15 minutes that I was going to be getting some sort of, I don't know, a message or a download or just any sort of communication. And it was radio silence. <laughs> and I'm like, what in the heck? I was so bummed because I was writing and I was totally like in a groove and it totally disrupted what I was writing. And I was like really bummed out about that. So I said, whatever, I just opened my computer and I got on Facebook. And the minute that I logged in, I got a ping in the instant messenger from somebody and I look at it and I didn't recognize the person's name and and I looked at the little thumbnail. It was so tiny. And I didn't recognize his face either. 
and he was just like connecting about something and and um he said that he listened to my um Whitley streamer interview and we started chatting and I'm thinking why does he look so familiar to me just so familiar and so as we're chatting I'm kind of like going through his profile as you do <laughs> and I went through his photos to see if I recognized him and I didn't and I saw that he lived in Rhode Island I'm like I've never been to Rhode Island and so I don't like, and we didn't have any mutual friends or anything. So it's just like really weird. And so as we're chatting, um, we're just like, I scroll through a bunch of pictures of, and I saw that he had like all these children. And then there was a woman holding a little baby. And when I got to the picture of that woman holding the baby, she was staring right at me. And I'm like, what? Like, she was staring right at me. And so I'm looking right back at her. And I'm like, okay, and yeah, I, you have my attention, is what I'm thinking, right? And so I typed in a little box. I said, uh, I'm going through your photos just to see if you look familiar. And I came across a picture of this woman holding a child. And I said, is that your wife? And he said, yes. And I said, she's no longer with us, is she? And he said, no. I said, I have a message for you. She wants you to know that she loves you and that she misses you and that she's all around you all the time. And I said, you do know that you are going to see her again someday. And he said, yes, I do know that. And he says, you have no idea how much this means to me because today would have been her 50th birthday. And I've been thinking about her all day. I said, oh my gosh, are you serious? I said, that is crazy because today is one of my best friend's 50th birthday. Also, it was July 7th. And he said, oh my gosh, that's so weird. And he says, I said, I'm also 50. And, and he says, I really so am I. I said, that's so crazy. And I said, well, so when's your birthday? And he said, it's uh, March 26, 1962. That's my exact birthday. And I said, you're lying. I'm like, he thought, I think he thought I was lying, <laughs> but we, there was just no way. And it turned out that it was true, that we were both born nine hours apart on opposite ends of the country. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Okay, so I I literally did intentionally ask him what his birthday was for a reason. Because when there was that synchronicity with his wife's birthday and my um, my best friend, I had received a download prior to the conversation we were having that part of the message was, Pay very close attention to the ones who you share the most synchronicity. They're in your life for a reason. And so I was basically going down a rabbit hole at that moment. And I just needed to know, like, well, wouldn't it be funny if, and you know what? Not only, but I mean, the same exact day of the same year. 
So then I, we were just in disbelief. And he says, you know, I'm totally interested in synchronicities also. And he says, and I'm also an experiencer. And I said, we need to get to the bottom of this. So we just went down this, on this journey together of trying to figure out what was going on. When I was very young, I, uh, I always thought that I had a brother and that my mother had had a miscarriage or something. Or had, and I went up to her one day and I said, whatever happened to my brother? I asked her and she said, what are you talking about? I said, well, I know I had a brother. Did you give him up for adoption? And she said, no, honey, I never had another child before you. And I said, mommy. I said, and I thought, well, maybe she lost a child and she didn't. And I kept thinking, oh my gosh, what if he's my brother? Because the more I started thinking about it, I thought, what if we knew each other before this incarnation and we were incarnated at the same time only to meet up again? And so there's a reason for this reconnection right now because we're paying attention to the synchronicity that we're experiencing together. We also had children that were all around the same age. Um, we had we got married a month apart of the same year. Just all these, you know, congruencies and just like we had the same exact car. Our very first car was the same exact car. Okay, so it's just like, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> so what ended up happening was um, throughout the summer, we just kept, you know, in contact. And by the time August rolled around, we were already like, chatting on the phone and then we were like Skyping and, you know, then we fell in love long distance. And, um, I had been asked to speak for the very first time at a conference in Maine called experiencers speak. So I told him that I was going to be speaking and the conference was, um, just for experiencers only to share their stories. So there was no like nuts and bolts, you know, stuff going on at all. So he said, I'm coming up and I'm going to meet you. I said, okay. <laughs> so then by the end of August, he had asked me, he says, you know what? I need to ask you. We were in love at this point, falling in love. He says, I have a very serious question to ask you. He says, um, would you consider moving here with me? And I was just like blown away. And I really didn't have anything tying me to California anymore. My children had moved. My one daughter had moved to uh, Oregon. And my other daughter at the time was living in Thailand. So I thought, well, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> So I don't even know what it's like out there or anything. So he said, well, why don't you come and stay with me for two weeks and then, you know, think about it and then we'll just decide, see how you like it. At the conference, Kathleen Martin was there and she had um, her merch table. And so we went over to the table and we decided that on our way home, we were going to go to the Betty and Barney Hill um, monument. And she said to me, or said to us, I should say, uh, so that Betty and Barney Hill monument is not where the car was actually found. 
if you want to know where the car ended up, I can tell you and you can drive there. And we were like, whoa, that's cool. You know, <laughs> like, it's kind of like really top secret, <laughs> like it's kind of on the down low. So we put the um, address in the GPS. And so we drove from Maine and we drove back down through New Hampshire through the White Mountains. It was absolutely gorgeous. Had the best time together. Um, he loved to sing. I loved to sing. We were singing harmony perfectly. I'm like, this is just not real. This is not happening. We both love Crosby, Stills, and Nash. We're like just singing, you know, Deja Vu, which is a funny song when you think about it. <laughs> and so we go to the monument and then we go to where um, the the um, address that she gave us. So we punch that in. We start driving. And it's getting dark. And I all of a sudden had this weird feeling like, what am I doing? I don't really know this guy. We're driving in this forest, in the middle of this forest. It's dark. All of a sudden, I realize I don't really have any cell service, or it's kind of spotty anyway. Nobody knows where I am. So we're driving along, and we get to the street. So we make a left down the street and the paved road turns into like a cobblestone road. And I'm like, where are we going? So we're driving along and driving along and it's just like really bumpy. And then we look down on the GPS and we can see this X on the road. Like that's where we're supposed to stop. But why is there an X there? Because there's no address. There's just a street. We both thought that was really strange. So he's like, well, I guess we're supposed to get out here. So we get out of the car and there's this huge open field. And we're looking at each other like, okay, I wonder if this is the site. Like we were supposed to stop here and this is the clearing where the car was. And we're like, oh, maybe we should just look up and maybe we'll see something. And so we're like looking up at the sky and then we're like just leaning up against the car and we started like kissing each other. And all of a sudden I pull my head back and I look at him and his face had morphed into a gray. And I panicked and said, we need to get the fuck out of here right now. And we ran to the car. He's like, yes, we need to get out of here now. Let's go. And he gets in the car and he takes off. He peels out. There's like dust behind us. He's driving so fast. I'm like gripping the arm, the, the handle of the door handle so tight. I'm thinking I'm just going to open the car and I'm just going to duck and roll. I'm just going to roll out of the car as he's driving. I'm getting out of the car. And he's kind of looking at me out of the corner of his eye, not like no eye contact whatsoever. We're driving, 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 and then all of a sudden we get to the part of the paved road, and then there's street lights, and then we're like, okay, we're getting into civilization, so we turn right, and we go down the street, and I'm like, okay, can we just like go somewhere? I just can we just get a beer or something? This is, I I need to drink. I'm just like I'm shaking. He's like, yes, definitely. So we go and we find this little pub. We go in, sit down. I ordered a beer and I chugged it down, <laughs> and I just kept staring at it, and I kind of like looked up at him. I said, I need to tell you something. And he says, I need to tell you something. I said, when I looked at you, you were a gray. He says, when I looked at you, you were a gray. 
we had both morphed our facial structures into like a gray being. I have no idea what it means. He didn't either. We were both so freaked out that we were spending the night there that night. We just drove all the way back to Rhode Island without stopping. <laughs> we were so afraid. To this day, we have no idea what happened and why we appeared to each other like that. What, what you know, I mean, seriously, I'm like, what, what do you do with that? That was really bizarre. So we, you know, kind of kept it to ourselves for a while because it was just so freaking weird. And we really didn't talk about it because it was just like, I think we we're both just like leery of each other. Like, who are you yeah. really? You know, right. is it just, were we dreaming? Were we hallucinating? Were we supposed to see that? Are we really all part, you know, of a different being? Are we all part? I don't know. It's just your mind just runs away with you when something like that happens that you can't explain, like mm -hmm. seeing a craft or having a visitation. It's all wrapped up in that same awkward package, you know? Yeah. It's amazing you guys stayed together. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, just thinking back on, okay, obviously we were meant to see that for a reason, but what was the reason? Yeah. I mean, we've had many weird experiences throughout the years and, and, um, we felt like we were being watched all the time. Mm -hmm. Just strange experiences within the house. I had, we had a shared dream experience that was very sexual, mm -hmm. um, that happened at the same time we were both sleeping and both dreams mirrored each other. It was just bizarre with these beings. They were, um, can I pause this right here? Yeah, absolutely. Decide if you want to say, like, you don't I, I have know, to. Yeah. No, I just don't think I'm going to get go there. <laughs> it's fine. It's just, it's I, just too much. I know. I know. <laughs> it's I mean, just I, so weird. I remember, I'll say this, and maybe we can leave, you know, we'll just leave this in, but I'll say that, you know, the mm. person who really helped kind of download and make sense of my experiences was Stuart. And, mm. um, I remember when I went to Stuart and said, you know, there's some, there's one thing I just haven't told you. And it's about this kind of, you know, the sexual stuff. Like I just haven't talked about that at all. And he said, I can't remember. He quoted someone else. And I think it was Jeff Kripal. I think he said, you know, Jeff Kripal says, if you haven't talked about the sex stuff yet, you haven't said everything. Oh. And it's like, yeah. So I'll just say that because, okay. you know, it's, it's, um, it's fucking weird. When I had the mantis experience after that, I, I always felt watched mm -hmm. during sex and it was so Same intrusive here. and, um, Ugh. disturbing. And so anyway, whatever, like I had a friend frame it a particular way that made a lot of sense to me and sort of helped me frame it. Cause that's what has helped me on my journey is frameworks. It's like, mm -hmm. if I can just, if we can hear each other, listen to each other's stories and then just make some kind of framework out of it. Mm -hmm. So it's just not so fucking crazy. And it was that, mm -hmm. and this was particular to the mantis being, so I don't know, but was that they're interested in really intense, uh, human experiences. So like conception, birth, death, sex, 
you know, uh, heightened experiences of all kinds, mm-hmm. terror, love, you know, all right. of these, all of these yeah. things. And so right. I thought, yeah. So I thought, well, okay, that sort of is my, that's just my only framework that I have for it, but yeah, no need to go down that road. Just suffice to say, we all know if you're an experiencer, uh, we many of us have had complicated, disturbing, strange experiences in that realm as well. Right. So we just really felt like it was super awkward and, and we would always smell, I will say one thing after mm-hmm. we would have sex sometimes mm-hmm. we always had the really small, strong smell of ozone mm-hmm. when we'd open the window, like almost like electrically charged air coming from the outside, not from inside the house, but from outside. It was just very odd. All these so, all these weird like data points where you're just like, again, what, what do you, what do we do with any of it? You know, exactly. It's like, what do you do with it? You just, just, okay. I'll just write this down. I'll remember it and then move along mm-hmm. because it doesn't really, uh, I don't want it to um, consume me yeah. and, you know, always have that image Mm-hmm. Because it could, if you would really just focus on that and just obsess about it, it'll drive you crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And right. I don't have time for that in my life to be crazy. So, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's one of the things that you and I have talked about and I wanted to talk about as well is just for me, it changed at some point from trying to figure out what it all meant. Who are they? What does it exactly mean? How does this? Uh, experience weave into this other experience and, you know, trying to figure out exactly what it all means changed to how can I just be okay in my life? Like, how can I make sure I'm getting enough sleep and my relationships are good and that I'm not afraid in my house and that I'm not going down, like I'm not getting manic or obsessive or going down a rabbit hole about something like, and it sounds like you've done the same. Right. Well, I guess I just look at all the anomalous things that have happened in my life. And I've just, the way that I've had to deal with each one individually to carry on, mm-hmm. maybe it's a defense mechanism or, you know, it's like, you know what it's like? It's like holding your children in your arms and there's like, a you're like in a war zone and you're like trying to hide in a forest and protect them at the same time. And you're running mm-hmm. and you just have to keep running and you have to, and having them, and just keep, you know, plotting through to get to the other side safely, you know, unscathed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I mean, I feel like that, like, just, I mean, it's like, are you like a warrior in this lifetime? All of us trying to live our lives with all this unrest going on around us, knowing that there's a, a you know, something else entirely going on that a lot of people aren't even privy to. Yeah. You know, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing sometimes because it's so complicated as it is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not even one iota what it really is, any of this. Right, right. You know, we don't even have the capacity to be able to begin to understand what it is exactly that's happening. And we might even have the comprehension to, once it's presented to us, be able to make sense of any of it. You know, I mean, that just is so baffling to me. Yeah. Just even some of the things that were presented to me that, you know, I've been shown. I had a craft experience once where I, I was, when I was nine, I was aboard a craft and, 
and there was a huge being that I called the emperor. He he was kind of like a a uh, cross between a gray and a mantis, probably about seven mm. feet tall. But in our, I'll just give you a Reader's Digest version about that experience. Um, he presented a couple of things to me. One of them was a symbol that I have drawn, and I, I do have that still. But I, but when I spoke with him telepathically, you know, this I don't understand this. He said, "You will understand it when it is time." So I'm constantly always looking for that symbol wherever I am. You know what I mean? Uh, right. He also there was a three-dimensional hologram that was kind of like in the shape of a cube that just appeared between us. Mm. And it was like a three-dimensional algebraic equation. So I remember looking at it straight on. And then I remember looking at it from the side and I was like, oh man, that's a lot more complicated than how we do math. You know? mm -hmm. <laughs> I said, I don't even get our math. So this is like way beyond my pay scale. I mean, I have no idea. <laughs> And so it, it kind of impressed on me that, you know, whatever it is or wherever they're from is just way beyond our own comprehension. Like it's going to change everything that we've been taught. Anyway, we already know that that's a given, but, um, and then he also said that the cure for cancer was something that we use every day. And when I was nine, it's kind of like a benign statement because I mean, I did know what cancer was, but when you're nine, you don't really know, like what cancer really is. And, and so I said, Oh, you mean like toothpaste? <laughs> and he kind of chuckled, actually, I could hear the chuckle in his head. He goes, Yeah, I like that. But he didn't give me any other clue. Whatsoever Can you tell me what it is? It's like, I know, this is so frustrating. Uh, that like the these, oh, God, these like tantalizing things, these messages that were given. Right. I had one recently that was I dream. I, I woke up from a dream with this song mm. playing over and over in my head. Changes, I think it's called. I don't know. I'll find it and put it in the by show David notes, Bowie. No, it's by a some kind of like like indie band or something. But I'll. It's a nice little song that basically is just like change is coming, and it's like yeah, no shit. Uh, thank you for telling me that. But I so I'm like dreaming that, dreaming this song, and then. I woke up and I just knew that the lights were coming um, and that they would be here. And so I just had that feeling. I got up, I built my fire. I went over, laid back in bed, looked out the window and just waited. And pretty soon, you know, flashes and that were not as it was a stationary something flashing irregular intervals for a long time with a telepathic message that was saying, that just basically told me something about a project I'm working on. And I was like, and I asked a question and it was just the same message. And I tried uh, to get more clarification and it was just like, nope, just this message. And I'm just like, motherfuck, like what? <laughs> <laughs> Can you just tell me what it is? So anyway, it's frustrating. It's frustrating to be like, yeah. So, so that's our clue, right? Is the yeah. answer is cured by by something that's common to us, but right. that can only be a hundred thousand different things. So we'll keep an well, eye out. <laughs> you know, what's, what's interesting is after he had said that, I had the impression and maybe he was impressing it on me, or maybe I was reading his mind, but that impression was that we are trying too hard to find the cure, that it's right under our noses. Mm. And so then I'm thinking about big pharma and I'm thinking about, oh, well, of course, 
it's out there and it's something that we probably could care ourselves every day, you know? So that was my impression. Yeah. Uh, right. That it, his- yeah. And that makes sense too, that it, it wasn't saying that it was, um, it wasn't like a literal, it wasn't like parsley or something like exactly. that. It was, it was, it wasn't pointing that it was pointing to Correct. the fact that like, this is actually easier than you think it is. You're trying that way is, too hard to, yeah. That is correct. That right. is correct. Yep. I mean, there's always that twist. If you can, <laughs> yeah. if we can see it, you know, that's, right. and I'm, as you're saying that I'm thinking about this message too, that I was getting with the flashing light and it's like, yeah, it was given to me that way in a particular way with mm-hmm. just that information mm-hmm. because I dreamed about someone mm. and I shared that with them and it, it, I, there's a re so I know as, as you're saying that I'm like, oh, that's right. Like, it's not just a, like a, um, one dimensional kind of question and answer thing. It's right. tied up in this package of the rest of our lives and a deep, uh, you know, a deeper understanding it's metaphorical. It's, you know, it's all kinds of other things. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, and the, you know, like that message probably was just meant for you in the way that it was presented or that for a reason, yeah. just because that was all that mattered in that one moment was that. Right. Yeah. And if I hadn't, if it had come through differently, I would have said it differently to this person. And the way that I said it to the person was how they needed to hear it. Like, yeah, that whole thing. Right. Right. I have to say, I'm st- it still annoys me, but I get it. <laughs> 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 yeah. I hear you so much. I hear you. That reminds me when you talk, we talk about, um, messages and something just met for you the way that it was presented in that moment. So one day, uh, 2015, I was outside in the backyard with Jack. It was, um, August 4th and the sun had already set, but it was still light out and I was cutting Jack's hair in the backyard. And I finished cutting his hair and for whatever reason, I just meandered across the yard and I looked out towards our back fence, which faces, there's a, um, a lake behind our house. And in that one instant that I'm looking out towards the lake, there's a little clearing between, between the trees. And as I'm looking through that clearing, I see a like about 10 foot in diameter orange fiery orb coming up out of the lake very slowly and i in that one instance i'm like jack jack come here come here come here come look at this come look at this and i'm just frantic and and it's a by the time he came over to where i was standing it had already gone behind the tree line but i knew it was going to come back up I said, just keep staring right there. Just keep staring right above those trees right there. And it never reappeared. And I was livid (laughs) because I was out of my mind, jumping up and down like a crazy person, like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, what in the hell was that? Oh my gosh. And I'm trying, like shaking his shoulders. I'm like, you're not going (laughs) to believe what I just saw. It was this orb and I'd never seen anything like this before. And it looked like, okay, say like you had like a, a shiny pinball, like from a pinball machine, but you, but it was, but it was, a, 
it was hollowed out, totally empty, and filled with like roiling molten lava. So it had a hard edge, but the inside was just like roiling fire. I mean, it was, it felt alive to me. And as it's roiling and it was just slowly rising, slowly, slowly, and I'm thinking, I'm doing the whole thing that you do. What am I seeing doing the checklist? It's not a balloon. It's not the sun. It's not an airplane, you know, and it couldn't have been any of those. And I was out of my mind. I mean, what was it? I'd never seen, I mean, for all the things that I'd seen in my life, this was like the most fantastic thing I had ever seen. And I said, we need to go find it. <laughs> I mean, it's gotta be, there's gotta be people out there pointing at the sky. I mean, and I, I clearly could see, like when you look out um, the backyard towards the lake, you can see the houses on the other side of the lake. So it was between those houses and the fence. So I knew that it was coming up from there. So he was like, no, we're not going to go look for it. I'm like, yes, we are going to go look for it. <laughs> and he just stared at me. It's like he stopped and he was like in slow motion. He took his hands and put them on my shoulders. And he looked right at me and it's like, it wasn't even him talking. And he said, this was only meant for you. Mm. And the minute that he said that, a monarch butterfly flew right in between our faces. And then he put his hands down. I said, no, we're going to look for it right now. <laughs> I don't care about if it's meant for me or not. We're going. So he's like, okay, fine. So we got in the car and we drove around. I fully expected to see like maybe it was a fire or like there had to be like a fire truck or like an amp anything there was nothing absolutely nothing and I was too shy about knocking on doors to ask people mm -hmm. because oh my god really like who's this <laughs> crazy lady saying that she saw a fiery orb coming out like behind my house really no I didn't do it I didn't really know anybody over there anyway and it just yeah so kept it to myself and um I just, I called Mike, you know, I called all the people that would go, oh my gosh, you know what I mean? I told Whitley <laughs> and his response was interesting when I told him, he said, uh, you know what that was? Those are, um, dead souls. The souls of the dead were inside mm. of it. And I thought really, and it just didn't resonate with me for whatever reason, but maybe, he had heard of something similar and that's what his interpretation was or maybe their interpretation was. Mm -hmm. But um, it not I didn't feel that. It didn't have any meaning for me. But I've always remembered that. So anyway, we um, we went to bed that night and that was Sunday. Actually, it was Sunday. So that Monday, he worked at UPS. So he was working until 3.30 in the morning like normal. And then we went to bed the next night and we were woken up in the middle of the morning, well, actually six o'clock in the morning, by the sound of our power being turned off, like the air conditioning went off and everything. And, and we were like, whoa, what was that? So I look out the um, black curtain of our bedroom and I couldn't see across the yard because there was so much wind and lightning and thunder. There was this huge storm. Mm. There were so many leaves and just, it was just crazy. 
we were having a microburst. So we had like 1500 lightning strikes in 15 minutes. Oh my God. In this little area where we live. And we lost power and we went around the neighborhood when it was gone and all the, tr- the it was just really bad. There were a lot of trees down, um, just lots of debris. And he still had to go to work that night because he works for UPS and that's just, you know. So he, I guess they still had power at his work. I can't remember. Anyway, so he would come home for his lunch break at 11 o'clock at night, usually every night. But this night we um, had candlelight. (laughs) And as he was eating, he kept like biting his tongue. And he was like, man, why do I keep doing that? So then like the next day he bit his cheek and then he called me by his ex-girlfriend's name. Mm. And I was thinking, oh my God, what is going on with him? And then we drove to get a coffee at Dunkin' Donuts and he hit the curb and he freaked out and he called and called out from work. Mm -hmm. And he goes, something's going on with me. And it turned out that um, we, his doctor said, we called the exchange and they said to go to the hospital and they did an MRI or a CAT scan on his brain and um, he was having a brain bleed. So we got ambulance to Rhode Island Hospital and they did another test and they thought he had a brain tumor Mm. because there was a lot of blood, but they couldn't see what, you know, behind the blood. But um, luckily... He didn't have a tumor, but he did have a bleed. And so we were really wondering if all this was connected to the whole orb thing because it happened, you know, like a day prior. I have no idea. Like I was talking to somebody else on a another podcast about this and um, he was talking about retrocausality, how things hop- happen in opposite order. And it really opened a Pandora's box for me. <laughs> So I'm just been going down this rabbit hole about that, um, trying, thinking maybe that is why that happened the way it did, yeah. because it really did seem connected with um, the chaos that happened with Jack and his, you know, brain and just, you know, all the worrying about if he was going to, you know, he had a, some, you know, he had to have some rehabilitation from that. Um, but he fully recovered, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. But um it was just a really scary time. Yeah. And I know you're kind of, we talked a couple of days ago and you told me you were sort of reaching out to people who had seen orange orbs. And right. I wonder as you're diving into this, have people reported kind of similar things around their sightings? Well, what I'm doing is I've you know, as we spoke earlier about people really starting to come forward about their experiences, um, you know, more and more people are coming forward with uh, their visitations or abduction experiences. And I'm finding that more and more people are coming forward with um, stories about having these orange orb um, experiences in detail. So, um I'm fascinated by this because it seems like a lot of the detail now is a lot more than it was even a few years ago, where um, a lot of these, um, a lot of the artwork that's being done is very similar, if not exact, to what I saw. And I'm wondering 
what is this whole orange orb phenomenon about? So I'm, I'm putting together a questionnaire and I'm going to be contacting people that I know and then putting out a general questionnaire, probably on the experiencer group as well, to ask people if they have had an orange orb experience, what was going on, you know, in your life, you know, what did it look like? Um, just a lot of things that people don't really think about while they're having the experience. But if they really think about it, maybe it is connected. Mm. Maybe, maybe there's a reason why, you know, is it, is there an uptick in sightings or is it just that we're talking about it more? Right. You know, I really want to find out what's going on and, and you know what, I'm not, <laughs> I might not be able to get to the bottom of this. I mean, we don't get to the bottom of anything, Yeah. <laughs> but it would be really interested to see if there is a correlation and, and maybe, gosh, I mean, even Christopher Blenso and, and, um, Deb Cobble, I, I spoke to her last week and, you know, just like the similarities of this roiling fire. What is this all about? I'm so fascinated. I really love that you are framing your experiences in the context of what's going on with your life, right? Like that's interesting as you're talking about it, I'm finding my own weird, this is actually weird, Suzanne. I'm having like a moment. <laughs> Yay. Um, I know. Yeah. It's like, oh. uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling, um, my own resistance to framing experiences within the context of like, quote unquote, ordinary life. You know, it's one thing to have an experience and just be like, okay, I saw this thing come out of the lake and then adding all of the details around it is something else. And that's actually Doing that is what, when I listen to other experiencer stories, that's where I find the connection is that there's something that happened around it or, and I'm realizing that I've got, I don't know, I'm kind of going, I can feel this weird, like internal block that I have around it, but that's actually the thing. These things don't happen in a vacuum. They're so intimately woven into our lives. They feel so personal and it's by telling all of, and that's, I'm, I, I did that intentionally in my book. Like I'm going to tell all the details because that's how we find each other. That's like the, the connector that happens. And so as you are wanting to talk to other people and putting it inside the context of everything that you did, including Jack putting his hands on your shoulders and which I love, you're like, I don't give a shit. We're going to go look, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, but that and the microburst and then, you know, and the health issues that happen with people that aren't talked about a whole lot, but absolutely happen. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I love that you're framing it in the cosmology of a full life rather than extracting it from life and seeing it as an event. Cause they don't, op none of this operates like that. No, it's, or I mean, when you think about all of this is like a, a perfect ballet, everything's orchestrated mm -hmm. to be as it is. Yeah. And, and interestingly enough, now that as you're talking about like health issues and stuff, I know for a fact that two of the people that I have spoken to have had some major health issues and have seen these orbs. So, you know, it'll be interesting to, to get, you know, more information from other people mm -hmm. to see if there's a correlation and, mm -hmm. and, and maybe, you know, maybe they appear for a reason, maybe, I don't know. It's like, almost like, are we being watched? 
I don't know. I just, I'm right. so confused. Right. What is it? I know I've, I've come to kind of, like we talked about sort of a stable place of just not having to try to figure everything out. And there's something like, I really want to know. There's mm-hmm. some things that I really do want to discover and explore and really get into. Um, and I get it. I get it why it's fascinating to you. And it's actually feels like, I mean, you told me this as you're telling the story I'm remembering because you cut my hair in your backyard, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's and, right. which is lovely. Cause I never get haircuts. So, uh, <laughs> it was great. You cut my hair in your backyard and you told me this story and you walked me over to where it is. And so as you're, as you're telling it, um, I'm remembering it and, I, I kind of love that this has, is turning into the next kind of rabbit hole that you're going to go down because you, I mean, we could go in a million different directions with this, but why this, like, there's something about it that's compelling for you. Mm, it is. And I, I thought that too, it's like, what am I doing? I, am I, is this ridiculous? I mean, is it just going to be another rabbit hole that never gets resolved? Mm-hmm. But I think that there's just so much that needs to be shared. And I think um, the more we really start paying attention to these things and maybe start delving into, you know, what's going, I, there's connection, you know, mm-hmm. obviously these experience, obviously these experiencers, both of these people that I was just talking to that have these health issues are also experiencers, contactees, mm-hmm. abductees actually as well. Mm-hmm. So, so why is it that we all have these experiences this and and why is it that some experiencers um who are lifetime experiencers and i'm just saying this out of my own experience seem to have these one offs mhm mhm where you'll see maybe this or you see that but it's never like a consistent you know same type of craft or it's always evolving or morphing into something else or even, you know, why that night did I have these three different beings in one experience? Right. I mean, it was like Barnum and Bailey. It was like, really? <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. and you know, I find myself laughing a lot when I give these interviews or do a podcast. And so I keep thinking, why am I laughing all the time? Because it just seems like it just is so like above the, over the top. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, I don't say comical to me. But, you know, I, I've never had a regression, so I don't really have any negative feelings about my experiences at all. And maybe that would be different if I had been regressed and do have, mm-hmm. then maybe I wouldn't be laughing. But I also feel like it's a defense mechanism mm-hmm. to be able to talk about it more freely, because when I do finish these interviews, it's very difficult. I mean, it's extremely physically and emotionally draining because you relive these experiences and Mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of people understand that, you know, it Mm -hmm. is so, you know, it's, it's such a huge part of our lives that we number one, have no control over, um, that is, it's just so hard to make sense of. And it's so hard to lead a normal life. It's like we lead a double life Mm -hmm. and it's exhausting to lead a double life. Yeah. 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 I think that, I mean, for me, the laughter is truly a way to make it possible, you know, cause it is, it is full of absurdity. It is 
full of, of the most absurd things that can't be pieced together. As soon as you think you've got a handle on it, something happens that comes out of left field and like the one-offs that you're talking about. And either I'm going to laugh or cry, you know, and I have cried plenty of times, but you know, laughter helps us. We, I mean, I, to me, I think it's a very healthy sign if in all of this, if we can laugh about it, because there was a long time where I couldn't laugh about it. You know, it's like, this isn't fucking funny. This is, yeah. this is a really difficult thing in my life. It remains difficult, but at some point it's like, all right. Yeah. I thought about that too. Like why, why the three beings, like, why did she bolt when they came in? Yeah. Like what, what? I mean, yeah, I don't know. they all, were they all, I mean, did they all come together? Did they take an Uber together? I mean, <laughs> it's like, like, yeah. Are what? they all the same being, but they're just presenting in a different way to make it more interesting? Or right, like, right. What the heck? I've never heard of another experience. I mean, I've heard of people having experiences with multiple types of beings, but mm-hmm. yeah, I also haven't had the direct experience with a reptilian. Yeah, me neither. I've never had that. And I and I also haven't had a direct experience with a being telling me what their name is or where they're from. Right. Which happens quite a bit. And yeah. so I'm interested in that as well. So why would that be? I know. I think I think David Coleman said this to me. Do you know David? Mm. Yeah. He's a astrologer and he's really skilled, amazing. But he said to me, like, the the phenomenon will take as much of you as it can get. You know, it's like, it's so hard to disengage from this subject because it's so endlessly fascinating. And I can feel myself when it gets too, you know, there's sort of like a mania that takes over and it gets like just consuming all of this and making the connections and the synchronicities are flowing and it feels really heightened. And Mm -hmm. then there's sort of a, like at some point a crash, like I can't sustain it. And so trying to find a balance in that. And, you know, what you said about getting to the end of these um, interviews and conversations and feeling really drained. I just want to thank you for having this conversation with me. I hope you're it so doesn't. Welcome. I hope it. Oh no. I, I hope you're okay. Yeah. I, I know I you am, are. Yeah. I'm just saying you don't really think about it until mm-hmm. you go in the other room and you're doing something and you're like, Oh yeah. Wow. You know, because I, I think it's so incredible. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything. Mm-hmm. I actually, that being said, I'm, I'm grateful for the experience. It has made me who I am today. I can't imagine being anybody else on who I am. I would be really sad if I hadn't had the experiences, although I wouldn't know the difference, obviously, but I do know that you're very right about what you just said, because I did have a meditation once where I was just really called to, I don't know if I was going to be getting a download. I, I, I don't know if you ever get that where mm. you get the feeling like you're going to be getting some direct communication. And so I positioned myself where I could just be able to receive. And the message I got was so powerful. And it was, you need to um, take a step back. 40% from mm-hmm. what you're doing at all times. When when you start getting into these manic situations, you need to let make it less than half of your life. Yeah. That that yeah. part of your life is and and to be able to have control over your life. 
mm-hmm. or else it will. I mean, I've seen some people end up not in a good place in yeah. a lot of different ways with substance abuse and, you know, mental um, issues and, and not being able to have control over their lives at all. And they can just spiral and it's, it's really a problem. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's real. It is. And yeah, I think that that's, that that's great um, information to receive, like dial it back and it should be 40%. And I've gone through my own journey with that, like watching how I feel, how I'm sleeping, how, you know, one indicator to me is like, if I'm nice to people around me, mm-hmm. like, what are my, how are my relationships? Am I um, able to be like present and generous and kind? Cause I have enough capacity and resources, or am I phoning that stuff in because I'm so immersed in this other world that is more important. It's like, those are my indicators, you know, how am I sleeping? How are my relationships? And, um, how do I generally feel? And it's kind of the boring, unsexy part of experience or life, but it's so like being grounded, just having a normal life as much as possible enables us to survive these things and just make it through. I also just want to put out there that you are, (laughs) I want to note that almost every time that we got on the on a call together to work on my book, or even since then, you're like, oh, hey, and then you'll drop some little <laughs> psychic thing. Like you're so psychic. <laughs> yeah. I just well, wanted I... to get that in there because it's, it's always so great. I'm like, what is she going to say today? That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you know, I'm, I think it's tied to the experience. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I literally just daily have mm-hmm. something where it just comes up. Yeah. And it's just incredible. I mean, I'm, I don't know, kind of thinking, am I crazy or, or am I just, I mean, I've had, you know, a lot of precognitive dreams and, mm-hmm. and just like my life, that's just my life. I, I don't know any different, but another weird thing is I just remember numbers and birthdays and phone mm-hmm. numbers. And the other night I was talking to Jack about something and I'm like, Oh, his birthday is on June 2nd. Mm. Cause I remembered he was a Gemini and his friends is the day after his, it's just like, why? <laughs> right. Why am I was like part, what? right. It's just part of your, like your particular collection of, of gifts. And I don't know one thing like to say that, that helps with wondering if we're crazy is confirmation, which is great when you say something uh, to me, I'm, I, I'm pretty sure that nine times out of 10, I confirm it. Right. I'm like, yeah, you know, so that helps. It helps us all when we can get confirmation from each other. Like that's true. Those are all the things that's why these relationships. And I was thinking that too, about these questions of like, why, like why the orb, why, Mm. why do I like, why did they push me so much to tell my story publicly? And for me, one of the big answers to that question is relationships, these relationships, like these connections, I wouldn't have known you. I wouldn't have known Mike, all of these. I mean, I could go on and on and on about the people that I have become connected to that are core central in my life and such a foundation for me that I never had in my life before. Nobody, I couldn't talk about it. I couldn't have these conversations. I had to compart. I did live that double life, like you were saying, Mm -hmm. but now it's like, somebody contacts me because 
they heard something that resonated. And oftentimes like we form real friendships and that, you know, if nothing else <laughs> is, is <laughs> makes it worth it to have these conversations, like to Absolutely. have the experiences and then talk about it. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. I, when I was talking to, every time I speak to an experiencer, there's always such a, a great feeling of connection and camaraderie. Mm-hmm. And I feel that it's so important that we all remain connected because there's no judgment. You know, yeah. we all accept each other and love each other unconditionally. Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about. And that's what this is all supposed to be about. I yeah. really feel strongly about that. Yeah. And so these really difficult experiences have brought us that and that makes it, you know, it's like, okay, if that's, if, if that was the price of entry, okay, yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> exactly. I'll, I'll pay it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love you so much, Suzanne. Thank you, you so too. much for doing this interview with oh, me. And... You're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me on as a guest. Yeah. Well, we're going to see each other a lot more soon because you're editing my second book. I know. <laughs> Which I informed you of like a week ago. I was like, by yeah. the way, clear the, clear the decks. <laughs> you have no idea how much I'm looking forward to this. I'm I'm just beyond ecstatic. So I'm so excited. Yeah. You're, you're brilliant. So <laughs> thank you so congratulations, much. Congratulations, by the way. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Thank you. Do you want, if you want people to reach out to you, where can they find you? Yes. Um, well, I am on Facebook and on Instagram is um suzanne chancellor and then if you would like to email me um you can do so at abductiawareness at gmail.com all one word and then i also have a it's pretty old a blog at um abductiawareness.blogspot.com and then a podcast at random alien brain droppings.podbean.com love it thank you You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Suzanne Chancellor. You can find out more about her work and how to contact her by checking the show notes. Special thanks to Morgan Jenks for our beautiful musical soundscapes. Special thanks to you, the listeners, and to my patrons. If you'd like more information about my work or to book a one-on-one session with me, please visit honeyheart.org.